Hello and welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. My name is Ashley Winning and I'm the founder of the Motherhood Circle and the creator of the Journey into Motherhood program. Are you wanting to learn more about vaginal birth after cesarean section and find your confidence to birth the way you feel is the best and safest for you and your baby? Spending too much time worrying about the what ifs and questioning if your body is capable of vaginal birth. Well, that's about to change. This podcast is for women wanting to learn about feedbacks, especially home births, and for professionals who want to learn more about how to support VBAC women home birthing. Nothing is off the table. I invite you to connect with yourself, find your own voice and strength to create this pregnancy, birth and motherhood experience you desire. You totally deserve this. If we haven't met before, let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm a mother of two, I'm a doula, a motherhood guide, and have had two unplanned and unneeded cesarean sections. And I'm planning my first home and vaginal birth, so it'll be a home birth after two cesareans. I'm here to support you along your journey to discover and create your positive pregnancy, birth and motherhood story. So feel free to reach out at any time if you want support. Now let's get started. Hey, me again. I just wanted to let you know that I've just created a brand new Facebook group called VBAC Home Birth Support Group, where you can connect with other like-minded mothers who are looking to have a VBAC home birth as well. You can find the link in the show notes and I look forward to seeing you there. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'm really excited to hear your stories. Um, We've been in connection through the VBAC support group, the Australian support group, and also the home birth group, and I think some others. So it's been really great to actually see you face to face and now get to hear your beautiful birth stories. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I've been part of the VBAC group since Oh, not long after I had my first baby in, as in emergency cesarean after an induction and it's been really helpful. And then I joined the home birth group not long after that and just learned so much. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> well, let us know a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Alyssa. I've got two children. I've had three pregnancies. I had a miscarriage for our first pregnancy at about 10 weeks. The sack was a bit small on the ultrasound, so my GP prepared me and that's what happened and you know it was a bit traumatizing to begin with but we got through it and we had a baby we actually fell pregnant a couple of months after that miscarriage so it wasn't very long between with James who was my uh first baby (laughs) and we lived down on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria so right down the bottom uh southeast of Melbourne. Awesome are you still there now? Yep, we live here. We own, uh, part own, uh, five acres. My family bought this 20 years ago and we mm. decided to buy in as well. Lovely. And how are you going with the COVID situation at the moment down in Victoria? Oh, just getting through. At least we've got some space outside to run around for James because he's mm. three now. So he's just hectic. But mm. yeah, we're, we're getting through. I mean, we've probably only got another two weeks and that's it. Hopefully that'll be over. Hopefully. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that you've been doing well in that time. So let's yeah. start off with James's pregnancy and then birth story. Okay. So I fell pregnant with James a couple of months after our first, uh, after our first pregnancy ended in miscarriage. Um, and I had all these really normal ideas about birth and, and how I would get through labor and I would get a baby at the end. And I knew that I didn't really want 
interventions and drugs and stuff, but I didn't really look into that in hindsight. Like I just said, oh, I don't really want that. And that's where I left it. So I fell pregnant and I took a pregnancy test and I went to my GP and I had my blood test done. And he is actually a shared care provider with our local birthing hospital, which is about half an hour away from where we live. So there was, here's a closer one, but they closed their birthing unit off oh, 12 years ago or something now where I was actually born. And um, yeah, so we just trunched into normal standard pregnancy care, I suppose you could call it. Um, yeah, we just, everything went along, textbook. I had a 12-week scan, I had a 20-week scan. I was a bit anxious because I'd had the miscarriage prior to conceiving him. So it was a bit hard to really get past the, okay, I'll just make it to the end of this week. Okay, I'll just make it to the end of next week. And it wasn't really until I started to feel him moving at about 19 weeks or 20 weeks. And that's when I really went, okay, this is actually happening. <laughs> We're actually going to have a baby. Mm, definitely. Uh, so it, it, it was so just real. really normal. Yeah. So it was just really normal, average pregnancy. There was nothing that we really, I passed my GTT. I did all the blood tests. I did everything else. I had a little low iron, but not enough that my doctor went, oh, you needed transfusion. So we just left it and it came up, I presume. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I didn't actually see the hospital until 24 weeks was my first intake appointment with a midwife. And I had to have a second scan because uh, the 20 week scan because uh, they didn't get enough pictures of his heart. So that was just double checked and then he was all fine. Nothing wrong with him. So we went on. We found out it was a boy. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. It was a big ultrasound picture of just the V of his legs and a really good crutch shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was actually so funny uh, because the first, uh, ultrasound tech was like, oh, it's a boy. And my husband's like, like, is it actually a boy? He's like, oh, 80%, 80% I'm sure it's a boy. 80%. Well, that's not, mm. Yeah, that's not really reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know definitely, right? If you're yeah, you're going to know. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so I didn't see the hospital again until about 37 weeks. And my GP actually went on holiday. He usually goes overseas um, and does some work over there. He's like a, a male in his 70s. Like, he's the most active GP I've ever known. So he went away overseas and he said, look, now you're going to have all your appointments at the hospital anyway. That's what they want. So that's what you'll do. So that's what I did. So I had my appointment at 37 weeks and the registrar, which I believe are what training OBs or the lower level obstetric type people. Yeah. I've seen a midwife after that. I only saw a G, uh, OB. So I, and she said, oh, how's your GD going? And I went, what oh so <laughs> and i went i don't have it though and she's like oh it says you're on your file what, what it, you do what's your name i said Alyssa, and she said oh this isn't your file she'd actually oh. had the file on the computer from the previous patient and i was like well this has really started out well i mm. already felt uneasy after that and i just mm. felt like it just was going to get worse from there and it kind of did you know she did all the things she did a lot of tapping on the computer not a lot of looking at me just asking me questions and tapping away on the computer she didn't really have any emotion in her face she didn't really look like she wanted to be there <laughs> realistically <laughs> but yeah so we moved on to, to can the I ask you stuff. Alyssa did you have a high BMI or any other uh, risk factors or anything like that so I did have a high BMI but my GP didn't say anything about it he's known me since I was born he delivered me at the local hospital like this is a so he, this is how well I know that GP. because you and had a, a you had a personal connection with the GP he saw you yeah. he knew you whereas when exactly. you went to the hospital he knew my care, health 
they saw you and perhaps boxed you in a category, do you feel? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely she did. Straight away she was looking at the files once she brought up the right one. Looked at my weight, you know, I was weighed at the GP often. No one said anything about my weight. My blood pressure was fine. I passed my glucose test. Like, <laughs> I was sweet. I was ready to go. I was happy to wait it out and just see what happens. But I didn't have my GP to go back to after that. So when she said, oh, well, you've got a high BMI and your baby's measuring 42, 44 weeks at 37 weeks. <laughs> so I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, okay, well, we'll book an induction. And I went, whoa, 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 hang on. After a fundal height measurement, I was pretty sure that I was measuring two weeks ahead anyway, which my GP said was fine, was normal, which I do know is normal now. And um, yeah, she was like, oh, yeah, we'll book an induction because you're measuring way ahead. You're going to have a big baby. I went, okay, well, how about we have an ultrasound first because I'd like to have a bit more information than that. I really don't like the idea of just booking it because you said so. Um, and she said, okay, so she booked the scan. So I went and had the scan at the hospital the following day. Um, and James was measuring 10 pounds, give or take a pound each way. No one gave me the information about the pound each way, which is really important to me because my mum had two nine pound babies and then twins, seven pound each. They were big babies, <laughs> you know, like this is what Genetic my mother has, and my yeah. line has done. Yeah, yeah. which is so, totally normal. And I think a lot of people don't take that into, my nanny had nine and 10 pounders and she yeah. is not even five uh, foot. She's tiny. Yeah, and so I'm five foot tall. My yeah. son is five one, five two. Like we're not big people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's all belly. It's not you know we're not mm. we're not hiding it in our um, frame anywhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, so you know she's like, all right, book the scan. So we went to have a scan, measured ten pound, got some cute pictures because it was just me. My husband was working. Um, so I was at that appointment alone. So the next one, I went the following day. It must have been a Wednesday, I think. Saw a higher up OB senior team I believe she said and uh she said okay well he's measuring over 10 pounds we'll book an induction if it was me I would just have a c-section now and I just almost lost my shit right there in the room I nearly cried <laughs> and I said to her you know well I really want to have this baby as naturally as possible and I said it over and over again and she didn't acknowledge it my mum was there my husband was there my mum said do you really think that's the best thing and she said yep if it was me I'd have a c-section I wouldn't even bother with induction so we booked the induction. That's what we were told to do. So that's what we did. I felt like there was no wiggle room. I felt like there was no way that I would possibly have this baby naturally because she said I couldn't. She just said, oh, well, you might have a risk of shoulder, shoulder dissociate too if you get bigger. But she didn't really say what that sort of, what sort of came after that. You know, would my baby die of shoulder dissociate? Would I, would I die? You know, is there other complications? Or is it just because maybe he's big? And maybe I was laying on my back and that's how he was born, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, and, and also her personal opinion on what she would do is irrelevant yeah. because she's a trained surgeon. So, of course, she's biased towards surgery. Um, mm. uh, obstetrician said the same thing to me. She had had two planned cesareans for her births. So, therefore, yeah. she thought that, you know, everyone should have these kind of births, which is fine, yeah. but we need to keep our personal opinions in check and keep it medical for the individual That's person. Right. And informed choice and care is actually finding out what the person wants, how many children they want, why they want this, and then looking at, you know, the risk factors and talking about that. 
Yeah, exactly. So she didn't she didn't actually say there was any there was no percentages mentioned. It was just let's book the induction. Mm. This could happen. This could happen. This could happen. Your baby might die. I heard that at least mm. once. I'm pretty sure. You know, and it was really ringing in my ears. Yeah. So I cried all the way home from the hospital. I knew in my heart that this wasn't right, mm. but I wasn't listening to my intuition anymore. I was listening to the hospital. Did they I talk just you going about along. risks of the induction at all? No, and I had a high baby. I didn't have an engaged baby. Mm. So there was even a risk, a higher risk of cord prolapse. No one said anything about that until I was in the VBAC group and people, and this happened to people mm. and there was an increased risk associated with induction in a high baby. Like mm-hmm. there was nothing said about that. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty angry about it. <laughs> yeah, quite rightly so. Mm, yeah. So I think it was booked. So obviously it wasn't immediate. She booked it for the end of the week. I was going in on Sunday. She booked it on a Wednesday. I was going in on Sunday afternoon to um, have the the gel, but get a stretch. And, oh, she did like a cervical check at the time because that's what you do, what they do as part of that appointment. And I didn't say no, and I didn't know I could. And um, so I went to the hospital with my husband and he stayed and my mum came as well. I had a pretty good support network. They were there for me. Um, and I went to the hospital and I had the gel done and I had some cramping and stuff overnight and all that stuff, and then nothing had really changed in the morning, so I'd had two doses overnight, and the morning OB team came in at 7 o'clock-ish, 8 o'clock, and she said, oh, you haven't really, but maybe maybe one centimetre dilated, still still quite stiff, not, not really softening yet, and I burst into tears with them standing at the end of my bed, saying, well, do I just go for a C-section now then? Like, what happens? I was, I just thought that if this failed, that I would have to have surgery, but that was the end of it. So she said, no, 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 we want you to have this baby. She said naturally, but I just thought that was the wrong word to use. You should have said vaginally, but oh, well, you know, this is not natural. You've already interfered. Um, and she said, we'll give you a third dose of the gel of the, I don't even know what it's called, prosperoglandin maybe, softening gel. And um, yeah, so I had more cramping. I'll have to wait another six hours because they can't do anything hormonally until that six hours is up so it doesn't interact or doesn't interfere with the with the gel or send the baby into the stress. Had to have monitoring for an hour after each gel insertion. I was really tired by this time. I was really tired of that lunchtime the following day. So I'd come in the Sunday night, it was now Monday afternoon. She said, yeah, no worries. So the same OB that booked me in for the induction, she came that afternoon and she was on shift, she was on ward. And she said, yeah, I think I could probably break your waters. We'll book it in for tomorrow morning. So I stayed another night. How many weeks were you, by the way? Pardon? How many weeks were you? Oh, I was 39 and a half weeks. 39 and a half weeks, yeah. I think I went in at 39.3 mm-hmm. and I ended up being actually induced at 39 plus 5. Okay, but the process days. started at 39. I was in there for two nights before we actually got anywhere. Yeah. You know, it was a bit disheartening. I was I was so exhausted, even by the time we just got to breaking my waters and putting a drip in. I was so I tired. It's uh, I went through the same thing myself, and it's just a time-consuming, boring, long-winded process that nobody talks about. Yeah, and your husband about. can't stay. Oh, couldn't he? Oh, no, because I was in a shared room, so mm. there was no space. 
they this day because I remember we watched the block like religiously every year. So the block was on that night, the night that I went to the hospital. It started that night. And I was like, oh, this is great. He can stay. We can watch this, and then he can go home. Mm-hmm. You know, he, we had a dog at home. He had to go home, and we, I was sharing a room. So you know, the rules were you could, your husband could stay. No one could stay if you were sharing a room. Mm. So he didn't. So we came back in the morning. And um, yeah, so I, ring, I rang him at six o'clock at 6.30 and I said, you better get here because they're talking about put, drinking my waters and moving me to the birth suite now. This is at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. So just mm. before shift change over or, or as shift changed over, I presume. Yeah, so I was tired. I was excited though because I, you know, I'm going to meet my baby. And I wasn't really explained the induction process other than breaking my waters and putting a drip in. That was sort of all there was. I gave, they, I was given like a sheet of paper with information on it. I didn't read the sheet of paper that well, obviously. <laughs> it was just a standard photocopied piece of paper on induction. And at the top of the piece of paper, I should add, it said, spontaneous labour is generally always best. <laughs> Yes, those those papers can be a bit daunting, can't they? And plus, you know, there's nothing beats someone sitting down, looking at you in the eyes and explaining things and asking you if you have any questions or concerns, um, you know, and actually talking through the process. Yeah, not just a 10-minute appointment where this is what we're going to do. Okay, we'll we'll see you then. So do they put you straight on the Pitocin? Yep, straight away. So So they broke your waters and straight up. Yeah, so I was laying sort of back on the bed or sort of a little elevated, I suppose, and, and the obstetrician broke my waters with, a, I think it was like a hook, mm. actually. Oh, because I'd had my birthing classes, the hospital birthing classes the weekend before at 38 weeks. So this was all kind of fresh in my head. And that was a midwife, an older midwife, who quite liked natural birth. She didn't like the interventions and stuff like that. So it was interesting that I was now, all of these things that she talked about were now happening to me. When I didn't want that, you know, that was not what I wanted. It's not what I envisioned. But in the lead up to my birth, I couldn't envision what birth and labor was going to look like. And so I think my intuition knew that there was going to be some interference because I couldn't see on the other side of birth. I couldn't see lifting my baby up and and bringing my baby to me. I couldn't see any of that. And I'd seen birth. I've attended births of my girlfriends years before. You know, I've seen, I've seen baby born and I couldn't imagine that for myself. So I think I knew way back at about oh, 30, 30 weeks, 35 weeks, that something was going to happen to me. So, yeah, I had the drip put in, had my water broken, and I said to her, oh, is there a lot of water? And she said, oh, more than, more than average. And I went, yeah, I knew it. I knew there was more water than there actually was. Maybe that magnified my baby a little bit, you know, who knows? <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, I, and it was warm, and I didn't think about the water being warm <laughs> I thought it would be cold I know it's so nice and isn't it I laughed <laughs> I laughed and she was like what you, what what's wrong and I went it's warm yeah <laughs> it's warm yeah so like being yeah. in the ocean it's like I've um because I've got wet and wild down like the road bath. I'm yeah. like it's like this bath of waters is like a tsunami of waters just like explodes everywhere and it's like woo yeah exactly exactly and it just everywhere all over does, the yeah. I don't even sure who cleaned that up I don't even know I know I wasn't watching because <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot so much I is happening like yeah <laughs> were so you in any discomfort or anything when that happened uh, no, no. Uh, it was it's the VEs that were really uncomfortable and yeah. by this time I'd had one two three four five already and it's mm. already day two like yeah. 
that's a lot of people touching my, a lot of different people touching yeah. my cervix, you know, and, um, and obviously that just continued. I had about 10 or 11 over the whole process mm. in the end. That's a lot. I, I, I'm astounded at allowing that to happen, I suppose you could say. But yeah, so I stood up, I sat down on the football, I moved the bed a little bit so that I could lean on it. My mum, we were watching the morning news. My mum was there, my husband was there. They brought breakfast in. I ate a bit of breakfast, fruit and yolk. Because I thought, oh, I don't really want to eat anything heavy in case it comes back up, which was true. It did come back up down the road. So, yeah, and just waiting, just cramping a little bit, having a bit of period pain type cramping and it moved in. And I don't know where along the line, but it, they turned into contractions and they were just on top of each other, bang, bang, bang in 10 minutes and then a big break. So it wasn't really going anywhere. At all, and I think about I think the notes say about lunchtime is when when I was in established labour or active labour. One of I don't even know the words that they used labour of some description. Um, so what was that about midday, one o'clock? I was coping okay. It was painful. There was a lot of pain in my bum because my baby was posterior, and no one told me. No one decided to tell me that my baby was turned around the wrong, not the wrong way, but the other way. The, the, the not the best way and um yeah so he was pushing his the back of his head was pushing straight into my rectum and it, it hurt and that took all of my focus away from dealing with the contractions in the end I, I just couldn't deal with that with that pressure it felt like rocks in my bottom like that's it was just so I could remember it like it was yesterday it was so painful and yeah so um, where are we at lunchtime? And I had all the things strapped on. I had the drip in my elbow, so I couldn't bend my right arm. So it was shoved up in, in the bottom of my elbow. And I just went, oh, this is a bit shit. <laughs> this is a bit shit, this position that I'm in with two belly bands and uh, one of the little scalp screws in his head. I don't even know why I had the belly bands on. Yeah, that that's interesting that you had those on in this yeah. in the actual. And when you say elbow, do you mean on the outside or the inside? In the inside of my yeah. elbow. Yeah. Uh, on my just about on the top of my forearm. So if I bent my arm, it was painful. It would just kink the thing, and then the yeah. thing machine would beep, 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 beep because the thing's not flowing in properly. Mm. So that was really uh, concentration breaking as well because that happened nearly every other contraction because mm. I was just trying to focus and breathe through it. And then I was making a bit of noise and the midwife said, I don't even know if this was the same midwife as I started with or a different one. And she said, I didn't even know who, whether they were in the room or not. I have no idea. <laughs> and she said, oh, probably just need to conserve your energy just just quieten down a little bit and in my mind she said shut up you're making too much noise yeah and I went and I just got on the back foot from there and then I didn't close after that because she'd interrupted me yeah and I was just thinking about concentrating not making too much noise and you were being a naughty and girl so yeah you were in the area yeah. and, and I wanted to go told. to the toilet and I had yeah. to ask to go to the toilet and because I was convinced if I just keep my bladder empty he can move down it's fine I mm. knew that mm -hmm. I knew that my bladder could get in the way but yeah he so he not that I could feel it but the idea it was that my contractions were coming one two three all in 10 minutes with a couple of seconds break 
and then there'd be a 15 minute gap. And then, so he'd just end up back up high again. He wasn't really coming down at all. He wasn't descending. I don't remember anyone touching me and feeling where he was. I'm not sure. I can't remember that at all. I don't remember a lot of what happened over that sort of first 10 hours because I just remember those contractions and being tied to this post and this table and this bed, stuck beside the bed. But yeah, so we got to about 5pm, 4pm and the midwife said, oh, do you want to have an epidural? I don't think she said anything about gas or or whatever the injection was or the sterile water injections or anything. I think she just said epidural. I don't think she offered me anything else. I don't remember if she did. I feel like I would have taken something else over an epidural though because I knew that that's not what I wanted. But I said yes. I said yes, that's what I want. I want to have a rest. And then we can get back to doing this a bit later. So she got the uh, anesthesiologist. He came in. He was speaking to me and all the lights are on now when he's in there, all the lights are on. And he's telling me about the epidural and the risk or whatever. I don't even remember what he was said. And I had my eyes shut and he said, are you listening? I said, yes, I'm just very tired. <laughs> so I've shut my eyes. <laughs> and so he came back and then my husband hopped out because he doesn't like needles. He can't deal. And they didn't want everyone in there anyway when that happened. So my mum stayed and sort of held me in that prawn curled over position over a, over a pillow. And the local went in and that was fine. I could deal with the local. And I've had local before because I have an implant on prior to conceiving James. And um, <laughs> and I was so prepared for it to hurt when he said local anesthetic. And it was fine. And then the contraction came. So I had to stay really still while that construction came and went. That mechanical contraction. And um, he put the epidural in and it's like my legs melted straight away almost instantly <laughs> it worked really well it was very effective I laid they put a catheter in and all that that comes with the epidural but they laid me down flat on my back I'm pretty sure I don't think I was propped on my side I definitely wasn't right all over on my side I was on my back and I don't know if there was a pillar under one side or not I can't remember I was a little bit inclined so my legs were down a little lower than my head but not 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 noticeably much I just knew that I was a little bit because that's the way the bed was set up. So we stayed there for four hours. I had a rest. I had a, a bit of a nap. And the midwife said, Alyssa, can you just breathe through your mouth, please? Your oxygen level's just a bit low. So I breathed through my mouth for a little while, which I couldn't sleep like that anymore. <laughs> and the room was nice and dark and I could hear the, I could feel the sensation of the contractions, but I couldn't feel anything else. I couldn't even feel if I touched my stomach or my legs. I couldn't feel that at all. And then I just laid there for four hours. So what is that? Six o'clock till 10-ish. And then the obstetrician came mm -hmm. in. It's night shift now. They've changed over again. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, well, you've only dilated one more centimetre. I said, that's right. Sorry, sorry, go back. I started at one centimetre at a stretch. Mm -hmm. I got to four centimetres by four or five o'clock. And then while well, four hours on epidural, I only got to five centimetres at a stretch. Like, I think that probably I was less than that, even even though she said five centimetres. Mm -hmm. I was pretty sure in my mind I'd made the decision if I was less than seven centimetres, I was done. Because I felt like I couldn't go anymore. Mm. 
we can have a cesarean now or we can wait another four hours. She sounded kind. She smiled. She spoke softly. She had all those elements. But, I, you know, I, I even said after the birth, you know, she was kind. She was lovely. But I don't think she was in the end. Um, so I had the cesarean and they took all of my jewellery off. I couldn't take one bangle off, so they taped it to my arm. I had to move beds. My husband nearly burst into tears. It was it was not what he wanted at all, even though it was a very real opportunity from the induction anyway. And I knew that and I was prepared for that, but he was not. Um, and my mum was still with us, so it's 10 o'clock at night and the nurse has changed over again. So we've actually got a nurse midwife now, so one that takes us down to theatre and she was in theatre as well. So I changed beds. I had to move myself over. And that's really fun when you can't feel your legs. I sort of had to lift one leg over and then shuffle my bottom over and then lift the other leg over. I couldn't feel anything by this stage. There was no more contractions. The drip had been taken off or turned off. And my cannula had just been left where it was so that they can put the whatever else in when they get down there. Um, so it's not on the same floor. Obviously, I go out the maternity ward doors and my husband stayed in maternity and my mum came with me because she'd had a cesarean before with the twins with my brothers so they decided I said to him it's up to you I'm not going to force you to do something you can't do so he decided not to come which I mean that's heartbreaking to start with but it was his choice and I think he regrets it but I think that he's probably better off for it as well I don't think he needed to see me that way so oh, sorry that's very hard isn't it no, that's okay. Um, I've got tears too. Yeah. Every time I listen to a podcast about birth stories and about C-sections and they end up like this and I just go straight back there. So, yeah, I go down to theatre and on the way to theatre, the lady says, or the orderly or the nurse or whoever's taking down the information on the clipboard, she says, do you wear contacts or glasses? And I said, yeah, I've got contacts in. I'm already on the way to theatre. I can't turn back and go and get my glasses. So I'm essentially blind. By the time I get into theatre, um, um, they strap my arms down and obviously where my IV was, they put a, I don't think I had a, a hairnet on. I think they just left it. Why did they strap back your anyway. arms down? I have no idea. I haven't heard that before. But I, I well, because the IV was in my forearm, so my right arm was definitely strapped down. I don't know where my left arm was actually mm. now thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I think I had one of those finger pulses. Things uh, on sure. though, like yeah. the heart rate. Mm-hmm. I think that was on the other hand. I had nail polish on, which is a big no-no. <laughs> I had uh, what was it, shellac or something. Mm. <laughs> she was not impressed about that. Well, I wasn't preparing for the cesarean the week before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so playing in theatre, and they bring my mum in. She's in a gown and a hairnet and all those things, and and no one's really talking. I can hear some music. I can hear the. The anesthesiologist, CEO, he introduced himself to me and he's the only one that really spoke to me throughout the whole process. And it was about 11 o'clock by the time we get down to theatre at night. So, you know, it's quiet. There's no one else around. Um, I remember moving from the bed that I was on to the bed, to the table where I was going to be operated on and the orderly said, don't move, we'll do it all for you. I went, okay. You just had to say, don't move, it's all right, we got you. Could have been nicer about it, but okay. <laughs> so laying on the table and the and Theo was telling me, okay, can you feel the cold back here? Can you feel it here? And I said, no, I can't feel it at all. And he's like, oh, that's great. The epidural is working really well. And by this stage, I'm already, I'm shaking from the epidural. I don't know if you had an epidural yourself, but 
it's quite violent shaking by the end of it. Yeah, so many women uh, from, you know, just doing these podcasts, um, so many women are shaking in the theatre because it's like cold and the drugs are so strong. And Yeah, then... well, I don't remember feeling cold, but the, the, I was already shaking a little bit in the, when we were in the birth suite mm. from the epidural, I believe. And I was laying flat on my back again now and uh, couldn't see. I didn't have my contacts in. Mm. And I'm not super blind, but I'm blind enough that, I can't make out shapes that are further than sort of 30 centimetres from my face. Wow. I couldn't see anything. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it was all blurry. I could, yeah, my mum's talking to me. She's sitting on my right and um, she's talking to me and she's saying, now you might feel like a, like a thawing sensation. Um, and I was just numb emotionally now. I just thought, well, this is the process now. I, and by the time I got to theatre, I was done. I was over it. I didn't want to do that induction anymore. So it was... The right decision, the induction road ended. But, you know, like there was nowhere else to go, realistically. What was I going to do? Just stay in juice and, and go through that for however long and then end up in C-section, you know, further down the track. I didn't want that. I'd already decided that back in the room. Yeah, so they were chatting amongst themselves, something about during the week or weekend plans or whatever, and... No one told me when my baby came out, I couldn't see anything. I just heard him cry and I burst into tears. And mum couldn't see him. No one said anything. No one said that he was out and then he didn't cry. And then they obviously took him, cut his cord and took him over to the table. Um, I didn't feel any of the cutting or anything. So that was nice. I didn't feel any of the stitching up. And so they took him over to the table. And then when they were ready, they said to mum, okay, you can come over and take some photos now. I think the nurse had, no, no, the nurse asked for mum's food and said, I'll take some photos for you. So she did. She took some photos of him looking all purpley and red and, and laying on that table all bloated from the amount of fluid that we both had over 16 hours of induction. And, um, yeah, so he, she mum brought him over to me and she pushed him against my face. He was wrapped up like a burrito. He had, it, he had the blanket all around his body and all over his head only his face peeking out. So she pushed him against my face and said, here he is, he's your baby. And no one said anything at all. No one said congratulations, no one said Aww. anything. And then at some point, someone said, okay, it's time for you guys to go now. So my mum and my baby left me in theater. Why did they get, why be told to move, rem- leave the theatre? I don't know because there was no complications. I wasn't losing too much blood. My heart rate was fine. Everything was really routine and they they just, they went and mum wasn't allowed to carry him. He had to go in the isolate because you have to go through a public area to get back to the the ward where my husband was. So she wasn't allowed to carry him either. Pardon? And she wasn't allowed to carry him either. No, No, she carried him to a point where they go across that red line or whatever, and then they put him in the isolate because of the public. That's where the public actually come to. So I don't know. They Mm. told me about it later. It was a bit weird. Mum actually told me about it. Mm. So I stayed down there and I went to recovery. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty tired. It's sort of midnight now, 1 o'clock. I don't think I got back to ward till 1 a.m. And he was born at 11.20 p.m. So it was a long time. And... I got back and he was dressed and he had a nappy change and he 
had photos taken with his dad and with my mom and and he was there and I still had, you know, that cannula in my bloody arm. <laughs> so we, he, they laid him down me when I got back to ward and in my own room, which was nice. But still, I mean, if that's the best thing about it, then it's not really great, is it? <laughs> yeah, so I had my first breastfeed and my husband held his head. I think I sent you that photo and held his head and my arm is spread out because the drip is still in there for antibiotics or whatever reason. Fluid, I don't know. Uh, so he held his head and we got a photo and I, by the time they left, it was 3 a.m. So that's, that's, that's all there was. You know, I was left with my baby on my own from 3 a.m. And my husband met his dad in the car park at 10 a.m. and I wasn't dressed. <laughs> And I had a pretty okay night. I mean, if you can call it a night, I was there. I was awake till three or four. He was a very quiet baby. He was a very happy baby. He, I couldn't imagine if he was a screamer. Mm. How, how big was he born? He was nine pound, eight ounces. Mm. <laughs> so he was a big all that. Boy, but, but yeah, but only nine pounds. He wasn't baby. over 10 pounds, no. like I said. Mm. <laughs> he wasn't going to be 11 pound at 40 weeks. Mm. Like, it all just felt like such a fake reason, which mm-hmm. it was in the yeah. end. It could have happened on its own. And if I had have had to go for a C-section after a spontaneous waiver, maybe I would have felt differently about it. Yeah. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But um, I can't change it, but that's what it is. So I spent a few days in the hospital. But it's, but it's important that you share this story because there are other women out there like you who are going through this and this is happening every single day. A friend of mine shared her birth photographer had attended a hundred births and out of a hundred of them, uh, only one of them, which was hers, wasn't induced. You're kidding. No. I mean, I'm not surprised, Mm. you know, what's the induction rate at the moment? 40% of first time mums are being induced. I don't know. It has to be an extremely, I mean, that's a very high rate, but it's just, Mm. especially when first time mums have such a high rate of cesarean section because they haven't been through this before. And those things. Because they're an unknown quantity. Yeah. Disclose to women, you know, before they know what's going to, they know there's a certain risk of a C-section and they're not like, they're not disclosing those risks, but they're happy to share. No. A possible, a possible very low risk of a uh, shoulder dissociate yeah. or something, you know, dead. Yeah, baby. or your baby's going to be too very, big and very get stuck. slim chance of that happening. Yeah, but why not allow that to happen and then yeah. decide how? Like, if you don't know how to manage shoulder dissociate, then you probably shouldn't be working in maternity. Exactly. Like, and why and not I, talk yeah. about the risk of that? You know, this is the yeah. percentage of it. Okay, well, I really don't think that's going to happen to me, or I'm willing to take that risk, and we're happy to go through. But do they talk about the risk of the induction, you know, possibly causing that to happen because of the fake contractions pushing? Them no, exactly. No one said so, that. No one made the correlation that induction has a higher rate of ending in shoulder dissocia or mm. instrumental birth or cesarean. They they have the audacity to say oh, induction doesn't. It's not a. It doesn't heighten the risk of a cesarean. I know they but say it's that. <laughs> yeah, so many inductions. It's total bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So you know, I stayed in the hospital for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, two nights, three nights. I'm not sure. Uh, people came to the hospital. I spent the whole first day. So I had my C-section 11:20 p.m. Back to the room at 1 a.m. I didn't get dressed or get out of bed until 5 p.m. that afternoon. No one said that I could get out of bed, so I just didn't. 
I was still in a hospital gown, just covered. It wasn't, it wasn't in it. I wasn't tied up at my back. It was just over the top of me, over under the sheet, laying in my own whatever's going on down there because I didn't know, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, no one tells you about afterbirth, regardless of whether you have a C-section or a, or a natural vaginal birth. There's still afterbirth. There is still bleeding like a period quite heavily. <laughs> and no one told me about that. So I wasn't surprised when I got up. I sort of knew it was there. I could feel it happening. But <laughs> no one tells you. <laughs> uh, and the one nurse that got me up at five o'clock, she said, all right, probably time to get dressed and have a shower. I don't think I had a shower. I think she just wiped me down and I got dressed. She wiped me down on the bed. And she said, yeah, birth, birth not, not glamorous. Got to leave your dignity at the door. And I went, mm, okay. <laughs> and now I think back to that and I just go, my dignity at the door, wow. Welcome to the hospital environment. Leave your dignity at the door. <laughs> Ooh, Lovely. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah. 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 And so, also that's yeah. like pretty shocking that you were left till five o'clock. Yeah. Well, next... I didn't know that I could ask to get up, you know. No, but know you shouldn't could... have to because that's what they're, that's, that's what they're, right. like, what's the point of being in hospital? That's the whole point, isn't it? That they're supposed to look after you. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. had a had on. <laughs> and I had plenty of visits from the midwives and stuff over the day. Yeah, like, well, exactly. Came in. I couldn't get out and get my baby, so they had to come in. <laughs> exactly. But he spent a lot of time just on me because I couldn't mm-hmm. get up to get to his. So I was right beside my bed, but it was hard to sort of lift him in. I'm only going up, bed only goes so high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, it was pretty difficult. And it was only, and it was when I had family outside the door. She sort of said, oh, just wait out there. I'm just going to get her dressed. Mm-hmm. I went, yeah, that's exactly what they need to hear. My, 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 my husband's brother and his wife, that's exactly what they need to hear. <laughs> how, did but, you, um, you know, how did you heal from, you know, your postpartum, uh, from the C-section and in postpartum? How did your breastfeeding, if you chose to breastfeed, how did that journey yeah. go? And how did your mental yeah, health so, go? Breastfeeding was really uh, a gift afterwards, I think. I mean, my mum breastfed four babies uh, quite well. So it wasn't, I didn't have any qualms with, oh, am I going to be able to breastfeed? I knew that I probably would be able to. And I was prepared to take that, I don't know if it's a risk, but I was prepared to just to start there and then go from there. So it was really well. You know, he had his first feed at that, you know, 1 a.m. when I got back to the room and he fed well. And then that second night, once I was actually out of bed, I was up and down and up and down with him and he was fine and he I just fed him in the chair because that was most comfortable and then I put him back in his bassinet and then when I got home I think that must have been you know that day three where all your hormones plummet mm-hmm. or skyrocket mm-hmm. one of the two mm-hmm. and I cried the whole day and I came home that morning and I just cried the whole day and my husband didn't know why I was crying and we live communally with my mum on this five acres where you live in one house and they live in the other house and my grandma lives here as well so I was surrounded by support Mm -hmm. and I think I felt safe enough to have that day of just a real low and baby blues doesn't it's that is so far from describing how it feels that that real low plummet of emotions and that disappointment and that rage of this was not the birth experience that I really wanted. This was not, not what I signed up for. I had rage. I was so angry. But, um, yeah, so I got through that day and I, that night I, my baby slept in my bed, which was I, I knew I was pretty sure it was a big no-no, but he just wanted to be on me. So I slept with him and it was easier than trying to get out of bed to the bassinet every, all the time with my C-section scar. And then from there my milk came in and, 
everything was hunky-dory. He fed like a champion. He had it efficient. And he was feeding for 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most. And he didn't want to feed every hour. He wanted to feed every two hours or three hours. So it was pretty regular. It was the, probably the textbook explanation of breastfeeding to begin with when they say, oh, they should feed every three hours. Da, 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 da. That's what he did. <laughs> and he slept in between. <laughs> he was a wonderful baby. <laughs> and I just healed. By two weeks, I felt amazing. I felt half normal. I could drive my car. I could lift my baby out in the capsule. I was okay. I was healing physically. I was healing, but mentally I was still, I was just so wrapped up in what was happening right now with my baby and, and looking after my baby that I didn't really have time to fully process his birth. You know, it was, um, it wasn't until I sort of started to, I didn't even read my hospital notes. I didn't bother because I knew what happened. And I had meconium standing, I should say that, in the waters, but it wasn't on my hospital notes. And it was the same OB that did the C-section as did the break in my waters, I'm pretty sure. So it should have been on my notes, but it wasn't. And, um, yeah, he was fine. He was really good. And it wasn't until I was fully healed by six weeks and my doctor said, yeah, you can go about your normal life now. And I went, cool, all right, I will. <laughs> take my baby out for a walk I'll go shopping I'll do all the things I had the luxury of staying home between babies because my husband earned enough money that we could live on and I worked from home a little bit for my mum anyway at that time just doing some admin on the computer so I could stay home I had that luxury which was really nice to spend time with my baby and he was really happy until about four and a half months when we'd already been he started having this work of breathing just out of nowhere really like it sort of gradually showed up and so I took him to our local hospital and they said oh it's bronchiolitis even though the swab came back negative so this is the same hospital he was born at <laughs> um the closest hospital with a children's ward and a maternity ward <laughs> and they said oh it's bronchiolitis we put him on oxygen so we stayed for the weekend from Friday to Sunday and they sent us home so we went home and he probably was his work of breathing was probably better but this is my first baby and I'm not medically trained at all I work in canteen management like in schools this is not my repertoire it's not in my repertoire to look after a baby that's not well but appears well but yeah so I took him back again a month later when his breathing had deteriorated again I've been to my GP the week before he'd had a chest x-ray already and he said yeah there's a little bit of fluid on his lungs so we'll just clear that up so we cleared that up he had a repeat x-ray there was a bit of a shadow on his x-ray um, so he said, look, he's still worth, he's still got that work of breathing. I need you to go back to the hospital. So I went back to the hospital <laughs> and this is now the 20th of December. So we've got what, 10, five days till Christmas. And I'm in the hospital with my baby <laughs> on his first Christmas on my own because my husband had to work and my mum came to visit, which was nice. So that was good, but she works school hours. So it's hard to come and visit around those. And, um, yeah, so they, took another x-ray in the hospital and they did all these things and they did lots of testing with his blood and they took his blood in emergency and I wanted to kill that doctor and I worked out later that he wasn't actually a pediatrician he was a doctor on a pediatrician rotation so he shouldn't have touched my child in the first place I shouldn't have let him <laughs> but he just bled all over the blanket that he was in so I took him there and he stayed there for two or three days and they said we don't know what's wrong with him he's on oxygen we have to increase it a little bit here and drop it a little bit there so we're going to send you to the children's hospital up at Monash and, and go there and they'll sort out what's going on. 
So they transferred us in an ambulance and the ambulance didn't want to take us because he's only four months old. So he didn't qualify emergency for the paediatric ambulance service. He qualified for the just the patient transport service. So the girls brought up a car seat on the thing and they took him to Monash and I went with him and my husband drove. And the way that Monash is set up, you can't get to the children's hospital with an ambulance. You have to go to the ambulance bay and then walk the patient into the hospital. It's quite funny. So we stayed there. He had a CT from a lung doctor, a respiratory doctor. And we spent Christmas Day in there and he didn't have the CT till the 27th because they had skeleton staff. They didn't have enough people to deal with emergency and booked in stuff. And then the doctor came in and said, he's got a, a special chronic lung disease uh, called neuroendocrine hyperplasia of infancy. And it's not your fault. It just happened. He just has it. And I always wondered in the back of my mind, I had a C-section, they clamped his cord within seconds. Maybe he didn't get all of his stem cells, all of his blood, all of those healing things that come from his placenta. And maybe that's what caused this. And I asked the doctor, well, I had a cesarean. Do you think that would have contributed? And he said, maybe. It's, a, it's known that the infants with this uh, disease, they often are born by cesarean. I went, okay, well. Not that that's the total cause, but I made that connection. I connected the dots a little bit there. So maybe that was the cause, maybe it wasn't, maybe he was always going to have this disease. So we brought him home. He was on oxygen to sleeping uh, at night for about 10 months, and then he was fine. And he's been fine since. He's three now. And he sees the long doctor once a year. We've been downgraded to once a year appointments. And he is the healthiest three-year-old you'll ever see. You wouldn't even know that he was unwell. <laughs> I'm he's glad so to hear well. that. I'm really glad to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, it could, have been, it could have been a lot worse, but mm. we managed to get the disease that is very manageable, very treatable. We don't have to do any drug therapy. It's all just oxygen support if he needs it. And he will live a full life. You know, it's not going to impede on his life cycle, which is nice. He's not going to be an athlete, but mm. that's okay. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> So, but then we started to think about a second child yeah. after that. Let's talk about the second child and, you know, your your plans in your mind and how you, you know, your birth. Well, we knew that we didn't want to try for another baby until James had come off the oxygen support. I didn't want to tangle all of that up. I didn't want to be looking after myself and looking after this baby that may need to go back to hospital at any point. So I, we made the decision together that we would not try for another baby until he was off that. So he became off that at 15 months old. So we went, right, that's it. Let's have another baby. We always wanted them close together. We wanted them between sort of two and three years apart, but not, two un- not under two <laughs> and not over three. So we had that year. So we knew that we wanted another baby in that year. So that's what we did. <laughs> we tried really hard and we got pregnant, which was nice. And I hadn't really thought about... I knew that I wanted a VBAC. I knew that I knew that very soon after James's birth. I, I didn't have any, I knew I didn't want another cesarean unless it was a planned one for a reason or an emergency one for a reason that I knew was a reason, not just because they said it was a reason. And I knew that I didn't really want to go back to that local hospital, but I didn't really have any other choice because otherwise I was going to have to drive an hour, an hour and a half, two hours to either uh Daninong, which is about an hour and a half from where we are or Casey and Casey is really hard to get into <laughs> they're very tightly zoned so I wouldn't be able to get in there and then I otherwise I have to go to Monash and Monash 
it's a tertiary level facility. And if I didn't have anything else wrong other than a VBAC, then I didn't really, I wasn't going to be accepted there. I didn't really want to go there anyway. Too much, too medical, too much. So got pregnant, went to my GP. Was, you know, it's been part of the home rest group, had been part of the VBAC group for a long time in between these births and knew a lot of stuff. Had this aggression, had this uh, passion to make sure that I had the best birth experience I could possibly muster. So we did the normal thing. We went to the hospital. I had my, my blood pressure was a little elevated. So he had to refer me according to their rules that he had to refer me to the early pregnancy clinic because he couldn't care for me as part of a shared care provider of the hospital because of that's the hospital's rules. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, definitely. They have their limitations, just like midwives, yeah. home birthing midwives. They have their limitations on when they have to. Uh, yeah. So their partnership their registration. with the hospital. Yeah. prevented him from looking after me after it got yeah. to a certain point. Mm-hmm. It wasn't super high. I think it was, I want to say 150 over 90 was my highest reading. Mm-hmm. And normally it was 120 over 80, okay. like religiously. So it was a bit, and I felt terrible. I was sick. I was vomiting mm-hmm. every day, sometimes twice a day, or just because there was dirty dishes in the sink or just because I had to brush my teeth. Mm. like there was it just and, and the smell of the laundry powder oh my mm-hmm. god it was terrible <laughs> and our laundry is in our bathroom so I couldn't escape it <laughs> and um yeah so I felt terrible I was probably fairly dehydrated I couldn't keep anything down I didn't want to eat but I made myself eat because I knew I'd feel better after eating just that vicious cycle of that first 12 weeks <laughs> yeah so I was at the hospital at about 13 weeks now, 12 weeks, it was the day of my scan. And he estimated my due date on September, August, 20, no, September 25th, I think. Yeah, so he estimated my due date September 25th. And I went to have my scan and they estimated it. I don't know, he was, he was later than that. So my scan put me he- ahead five days of his estimated due date. And I went, hmm. I knew that if they had my scan at the hospital, if I had that information, I would likely be pushed to have the, the estimated due date that was the earliest one according to the scan because technology rules the school. <laughs> so I purposely booked my scan for the morning of my midwife appointment and I knew they wouldn't get the information in time. So I had the scan and I went to the appointment and the appointment, she calculated my due date three days prior to the scan so I took the date that she made I think or the one my GP made which was like the 30th of September and it was five days uh, later than the scan said and I went that's my due date there you go she said yeah I'm, I'm fine with that because it's only three days off the one that I've calculated so that's fine and so she took it and she ran with it and I ran with it and I said that was my due date that was it there was no more talking about it after that and the scan results didn't matter. <laughs> they didn't even get to see them. So she referred me off to the OB because I wanted to have midwife care. I said I wanted to have midwife care. And she asked me, what would you do if you didn't get into midwife care? And I said, get my own midwife. She kind of just ignored me. <laughs> she just turned around and started typing on the computer. <laughs> is this the obstetrician that said that? No, this is the midwife. Oh, okay. In the hospital yeah. at the early clinic. Mm-hmm. And so she referred me to the obstetrician and I think between appointments, I went off to do the, I went off to see the birth without fear conference that was happening in Melbourne. 
Mm-hmm. And I heard January Harsey and Simone Stone and Andrew Gello and someone from Hypnobirthing Australia and they all talked and it was a really great day and mm-hmm. I urge anyone if it happens again, go. Mm-hmm. It's really invaluable hearing all those professionals talk. Yeah, it is. And that's when I knew that maybe I wanted a home birth. Mm-hmm. And I toyed with the idea in our first pregnancy. I said, oh, why don't we have a home birth like as a joke to see how my husband reacted. And I went, oh, no, we can't do it. We're too far from the hospital. Ha, 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 ha. Like, yeah. So it's always been in the back of my mind. It's always been a possibility for me. Maybe not a possibility for my husband so much. He didn't really care, though. Didn't care too much about it. So I had this in my mind, and I went to obstetrician appointment, and she said, I don't see why you can't be back. And then she said, but you have to, and listed off all these things that I couldn't do. I had to have continuous monitoring. I had to going to spontaneous labor for 441 weeks. I can't push for more than an hour. All these things that I had to have. I couldn't get in the bath. The bath is separate in, in the rooms at this hospital. They're not in the birth suite, they're in different rooms. There's, there's two baths, one for leaving, one for birth. <laughs> no way I was gonna get into that bath. <laughs> she was not gonna let me, <laughs> ever. So I said, okay, well, she's like, what do you wanna do when you get to 41 weeks? And I said, I don't know, cross that bridge when we get there. I was only 17 weeks at the time. I said, I don't know. I said, I'm never being induced again, though. She said I couldn't have an induction to start with. And then she, I said, oh, I'm never being. She said, oh, well, what about 41 weeks? And I said, no, nah, I'll just wait. I'll see what happens. She said, oh, well, you can be induced then. I went, no, I'll never be induced again. <laughs> never, ever, ever. You couldn't talk me. You couldn't pay me to be induced again. She said, oh, okay, all right. And I said, if I needed to, I'd have a cesarean if my baby needed to come out. If, she, if he absolutely needed it. I knew it was a boy by this stage. I just had a feeling, I knew. And um, so, yeah, she said, oh, okay, all right. And I said, she's like, okay, we have to have continuous monitoring. I said, okay, well, what monitoring do you have? Do you have just the belly bands? I know about the the scalp screw. I had that with my last baby. I thought, well, you're hardly the one. (laughs) She'd be giving me the guidelines. You've only been here two weeks. But you're the one that I'm seeing. Okay. Have you even worked on the birth suite? Do you even know what's up there? Like it just really threw me way off into this rage of you don't even know what's available here to me. You can't give me adequate advice. So I went home and I looked at the information written on my sheet that she put in my book and she typed on the information, we'll have a C-section at 41 weeks if no labour. I thought, no, that's not what I want. I nearly called the hospital and, and nearly yelled on the phone, but I decided, no, no, it's okay. We're going to have a discussion with my husband tonight about home birth and see what happens. So we had the discussion and we were laying in bed and I said, I really want to birth this baby at home. I don't, I don't want to go back to the hospital. I don't, I don't want to do what we did with James again. I, I can't handle that. And I don't think you can either. And he said, no, I don't want to do that again, but if you need to have a C-section, then you need to have a C-section. I said, yeah, but I could still have a C-section even if we planned a home birth. It wasn't home birth or die. It was home birth or transfer to hospital for care that I need. And he went, okay, well, I can't stop you. You know, I think that you know what's best for you. And I'm not going to say you can't do it because you're just going to do what you want to do anyway, which was true. I was going to do what I wanted. He knows you so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, good. Just because I'm a little bit scared doesn't mean you're not going to do it. I said, no, yeah. we can fix that. Let's mm-hmm. speak to a midwife. Let's find out what it's all about because we didn't know anything. I didn't mm. know enough clinically about the guidelines or anything like that. I didn't know any success rates and da-da-da-da or what risked you out of home birth and what didn't. 
Mm-hmm. So we spoke to a med- midwife by called uh, Melbourne Midwife Collective and I emailed them and she put me on to one of their midwives, Emma. She came and spoke to us and um, said, oh, well, no reason you can't. What do you mean your BMI is high? Because that's the hospital said my BMI was high with this one and with the last one. And she's like, what is it? And I was like, oh, it's a BMI of 35. She's like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> if it's not over 40, we're in business. <laughs> like, great, we're fine. Because <laughs> I weighed exactly the same as what I did before I was pregnant with James when I was pregnant with Charlie. Because I didn't weigh myself in between. I just weighed myself when I needed to go to the pregnancy appointments. I don't weigh myself religiously. So she's worked us through what happens. And, you know, there's only a 1% emergency transfer rate and, and these things mean that we would support you in hospital and these things we would recommend that you transfer and da 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 And Tom just totally melted away. He just went, oh, okay, this is not... It was really just fear of the unknown. It was not fear of birth itself. It was fear of the unknown. He didn't know what was going to happen if things went wrong. So we discussed where the ambulance was and where the hospital was and all those things and they all met the criteria that we could be in. So I, in between speaking to Emma and hearing again from Emma, we decided we definitely wanted to do a home birth. It's only a couple of days, maybe a week. Probably about 18 weeks, 19 weeks now. My 20 weeks down was already booked at the hospital, which I was a bit annoyed about. I should have gone somewhere else, but too bad. I was going to go to the hospital to start with. And Emma rings me and she says, I'm actually taking a job to run the long distance birth centre in Tassie. So I'm not going to be able to put you through with me but I can refer you on to someone else who's in our group so she referred us on to Louise and we met Louise and it was just meant to be she was the most kind soft warm motherly figure that I felt I needed for this birth I needed that nurture even though I do have my own mother here she was going to be here for the birth but I needed that professional nurturing and she met us and she came to our home and saw our place and whatever and spoke to us and we went through my last birth and everything and then she left and then I said to Tom this is it if Louise is available we're taking her <laughs> and she, she was so I said great book us in and as soon as I confirmed that she was going to be our home birth midwife all of that stress and anxiety that I was holding which I didn't even know I was holding just vanished and it just turned into this elation and this joy of I'm excited about having this baby now I really feel like this is entirely the right thing to do. Even if we do end up at hospital, I feel like I have the right care provider that I can make the right decisions and that I can stand up for myself and say what I want to say and do what I want to do instead of just being told what to do. I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to be told what to do anymore. So we booked her in and that was at about 18, 19 weeks and we planned a home birth from there we met our second backup midwife Amanda everything was lovely with her she did exactly what I wanted for my birth totally believed in the woman's body and all that stuff so that was exactly what we wanted and my pregnancy just went swimmingly I enjoyed my pregnancy I had no stress I had no anxiety I did a bit of walking every day you know I had a toddler so I couldn't couldn't sit down on the couch all day <laughs> like I may have wanted to so I was actually up and active a bit which was nice and probably helpful and yeah my BMI didn't really change I didn't gain a lot of weight I just I didn't really weigh myself but I might have made myself towards the end but I can't remember what it was and yeah so 
off we went. And it wasn't until 36 weeks when we had a, oh, I passed my glucose tolerance test. So I was able to birth at home because I didn't have gestational diabetes managed with insulin. So I decided, no, we had our birth meeting at 36 weeks. Both midwives, Tan, Louise, Amanda, and my husband and my mum all came and we sat down and we talked about what would happen, you know, and if my waters were to break because my baby was again high, he wasn't engaged, which I knew wouldn't happen because subsequent babies often don't engage. My first baby didn't engage, so of course he wasn't going to engage. He was a smaller baby. I joked that he was going to be over 10 pounds because my first, you know, the wives tell that all the babies after your first one, they only get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, that was a lot. <laughs> he was not 10 pounds. He was only 8 pound one. <laughs> Teeny tiny. So we kept going and had the birth plan meeting and went through everything that we were happen. And then I trudged along and I just was waiting for labor to begin. And I expected to go to 41 weeks because I knew that that's probably, or at least over 40 weeks, 45, 40 weeks, five days, 40 weeks, six days. And I got to 39 weeks, six days. And I was having this period pain, which I, and I didn't have any Braxton Hicks, really. I had maybe a couple here and there, but I think that was just when I overworked my body more than anything. I was just tired or dehydrated. So I, um, we went out for the day and I felt a bit crappy in the morning. I thought, oh, no, nah, this will just pass. I'm probably just preparing for labor. You know, it's probably coming eventually. I'm not going to be pregnant forever. <laughs> just ignored it. We went out for breakfast with our toddler. We went to the shopping center and picked up some stuff. We came home. We played outside. It was just a really nice, sunny, beautiful day. And we were just really really happy as that family of three knowing that we were going to be a family of four at some point soon and um my toddler we had a shower my toddler had a shower with I and then with my husband and he went to bed and this is about 8 30 8 o'clock and I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm going Tom I think these are contractions <laughs> and his face just fell to the floor it was so funny I remember it so clearly and he was he was sitting on the couch and he just went what <laughs> I went yeah I think I'm having contractions and so I sort of you know was timing them a little bit just to see how far apart they were and I was like okay well I'll, we should probably call our midwife and just see what's going on see what's going to happen so I called Louise and Louise said I'm actually with another woman at the moment so I'll have to call Amanda and see what she's doing <laughs> I was like oh great <laughs> falling apart but I was like, no, no, just keep calm, just keep calm and, and keep going. You know, maybe it's not going to be anything. Maybe it'll just fizzle out. I was, I was dead set sure it was going to fizzle out by the time I went to bed or, or in the early hours of the morning. But it wasn't 8.30 and they were coming and they were coming. And I was coping fine. I was actually really surprised that they weren't painful and they weren't horrible and terrible like people talk about. And I just thought, well, this is okay. You know, I can just focus when they're here and then I can do what I need to do when they're not. So I did. I stood up on the couch and I put my affirmation cards up in the lounge room and we rolled up the, the rug that was on the lounge room floor and we put down the foam mat because we got the tiles. So I didn't want to put the birth pool on the tiles and make it get cold too quickly in case I wasn't in it straight away. And Amanda called me and she said, how are you going? What's going on? I said, definitely having contractions. Just not really sure where we're at. I don't know. I haven't done this before. And she said, okay, we'll get a timer and, and time them and send it to me and see what, I'll see what they are. And if they're, she lives an hour and a half away. She lives in Inverloch. So 
she had to drive a fair distance to get to us. So I didn't want to leave it too late. And I said, it's okay. We've got a bed here if you just want to crash here. She's like, I'll sleep in my car. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's fine. We've got a spare room. <laughs> so I timed them and they were coming at four and five minutes apart. And they were lasting about 35, 45 seconds. And, you know, they talk about when you go to, when you go to the hospital and the one timer I downloaded, I shouldn't have downloaded it. And it didn't give me the, the time. It just, I just timed a few contractions and then it said, okay, go to the hospital. I went, what? <laughs> no, you didn't even show me the time. So I deleted that app and I got down a new one all in like five minutes. And the contraction time, I sent that to Amanda and Amanda's like, all right, well, I'm coming and I'll ring Renee because she's got to come. And I hadn't met Renee because obviously it's now our backup midwife, backup midwife. <laughs> so... That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and I don't know what the conversations were like between Louise and Amanda, but I imagine they were probably like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> this doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Louise primarily attends home birth and Amanda works, I think she works in a hospital and she works as an independent midwife. Sure. So it was interesting. So I just went about my business. I We put the flags up. Tom inflated the pool. My toddler's in bed in like literally the next room, very close together. Um, he just slept the entire time until I was yelling a bit in transition and I hopped in the shower and then I hopped out again and I sat on the toilet with this little toddler stools under my feet and that was really intense but it did the job <laughs> so I stayed there only for a few contractions I'm like I can't I can't stay here any longer I have to stand up and then I was sitting on the fit ball and I said to Tom we need to put the water in the pool and he's like no we don't not yet not yet not yet and I said put the water in the pool <laughs> So we didn't. <laughs> and we'd bought a, um, we're on tank water here and pump, obviously. And I, we had one of those stupid old style boiler system hot water units and bought a, uh, a portable LPG hot water um, heater thing. And you run the water into it and it heats the water and then it runs the water out. So we just set that up at the back door and he ran the hose and the water ran into the, and you can set the temperature. So we set the temperature to like 20 something degrees or whatever. Where'd you get Probably a little that bit too from? Hot, actually. Was Bunnings. that just from Bunnings? Yeah, how, do you know how much it was? Yeah. Do you know how much it was roughly? Ooh, I think we paid about 150 or $200. Okay. So it, it runs the water through. It was like nice the older model. Yeah, so it, it it it's like a it's like an instantaneous hot water, but it's just a smaller, compact version. So oh, you can cool. take it with you. Most people awesome. use it for like camping and stuff. Mm. So we got one of those, and it's actually it was really great. And Tom just set the temperature, hung it on the back door, and off it went because oh, it's got to be outside. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he ran because it was only sort of five meters from the back door to the lounge room. So he just ran the hose from there and filled up the pool. And then in the meantime, I think it's about eleven o'clock, and Amanda arrived. And I think Renee arrived after that. And so I met Renee, but it's all a bit of a blur. I was really in the zone, just sitting on my football with a heat pack on my back. My mum was there. I said, you know, I'd gone up to her house and I said, oh, we're, you know, we're ready. <laughs> Everything's happening. And she's like, okay, <laughs> all right then. So she came down and she made cups of tea and fed people and did all that, that motherly stuff, which was really nice because Tom wouldn't have thought to do that. He wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have done. He's not an entertainer. <laughs> he wouldn't have um, looked after them the way that my mum did. So, yeah, they came and she used the Doppler and, and found, you know, baby's fine, everything's okay, did the general stuff, had the Doppler before a contraction and then during a contraction and then after contraction for a couple of seconds. So he was coping and recovering okay and he was. Everything was fine. I felt really calm. I felt really 
focused when I and I was just to that point 11 o'clock 11 30 where I just I had no concept of time anymore from about there and I didn't have a, 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 a cervix check yet I waited until I was in the pool uh, and I got into I was back in the bathroom eventually and Renee came in and she said how are you going and I said is this my plug <laughs> and I showed her the toilet paper from where I wiped and was all like that jelly blood streaky plug mucus plug and she's like yep yep I had my baby a couple of hours after that and I went oh okay I was dead set I was going to see daylight it's only one o'clock by this stage so I she's like what do you want to get in the pool and I went oh all right if you think I should sure I'll, I'll get in the pool I was I might have to get out later if things slow down but okay I'll hop in the pool so oh my god getting in the pool was amazing <laughs> everything just melted and steeped and eased and I felt so relaxed in there it was really really nice and it was set up in our lounge room in front of our fire and everyone was sitting on the couch it was really nice and I stayed there and I had no concept I thought I was there for hours but I really was only there for half an hour before my waters broke and it actually almost hurt a little bit because obviously I was so dilated and the bag sort of popped outward instead of because he was obviously not engaged so there was still room underneath him with the bag and stuff and it popped out and came out the bottom and it and I was like oh and the midwife's like oh that's the waters it's broken I said oh that's nice that's really good I'm so glad and I went back to into my mind and was listening to a bit of music a bit of um diva primal stuff that I'd got from pregnancy yoga which I'd done with both babies, more for the interaction with pregnant women, other more than actual yoga, but I, I really enjoyed it. And he was coming and I thought, oh yeah, I'll probably be in here for hours. I'll probably have to get out. And I just kept going and took each contraction as it came. And I sort of got to a point and I was sitting over the, the side of the pool. And I said, I just can't do this anymore. But what I said and what my mind said, I was like, no, no. I can, I'm doing it. Like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Why did I even say that? I don't even mean it. But I couldn't say anything else after that. I just said it and then that was it. And everyone's like, okay, we're getting close now. <laughs> and Tom's holding my hand. And, and every time he spoke, I swear to God, I just lost my focus. Next time I'm going to wear headphones because I was so in tune to where he was and what he was doing. And how, every time he spoke, I felt like I had to listen to what he was saying. But he was just chatting with our midwives and with my mum. And every time it took me right out of my focus. And I nearly told him to shut up. And he was going to go in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, I'm going <laughs> to. But I was just so in myself that I just felt like I couldn't. Mm. I didn't have the energy to spend on that. So mm -hmm. like I had get through. I was probably in transition about now. It's probably about 2 a.m. It's been half an hour. So water broke, really. It felt like hours. It felt like hours and hours and hours. And... I was starting to get a bit yelly and I could hear my toddler crying. So my mum went in there. He's only in the other room next to us. So it's not surprising. But I think there was probably a bit of an energy shift too. So I don't think it was just the noise. I think that he woke up because he felt the energy change a little bit as well. And I just couldn't get comfortable. Like there, I couldn't, but I couldn't stand up either. I had to get on my knees and I was laying sort of on my, laying back a little bit on my back and I couldn't get comfortable. And my, I'm just like, couldn't get through these contractions I was dying towards the end I was just losing my mind I felt out of my mind I felt out of my body I felt like I was watching from above it was just I didn't even feel like I was there and Amanda said oh well um how are you going do you do you want me to check how dilated you are and I said 
Yeah, actually, I really do. I don't know where I am. I, need to, I feel like I need to know where I am now. I feel like I really needed that knowledge, whereas prior to making our birth plan, I was like, nah, don't need it. I don't need to know. Don't tell me. <laughs> but I really wanted to know. So she's like, okay, well, um, you're fully dilated. And I went, what? You're fully dilated. Uh, but you've got a bit of a cervical lip here, like a little lump. So just pop over to onto your all fours or onto your knees and, and that'll probably fix itself. I went, oh, okay. And it wasn't until later and I went, cervical lips? Like a lot of women have a lot of trouble with these cervical lips. <laughs> a lot of people think that that's an obstruction to get your baby out, but it's really not a lot of the time. <laughs> yep, so and many, just, so many. So many, so mm-hmm. many. Oh, no, it's obstructed. Can't, the baby can't get out around that. Mm-hmm. Well, he did. He came out. So I could feel him. I didn't feel him move through my pelvis, but I felt him press against my the opening of my vagina. I didn't feel him come through my cervix at all. Just And I thought I would. I thought I would feel all of that, but I didn't. But I knew where he was intuitively. I knew where he was. And I put my fingers inside of my vagina and I sort of felt, and I thought, oh, he's not there yet. Okay, we're not there yet. And then the next time I did it, he, and Amanda's like, just check again. Is he there? And he was there. I could feel his head with my fingers and it was soft and squishy. And I was like, oh my God, he's just there. He's just there. And then he pushed against the opening of my vagina and I, it burned. I, no one, nothing can prepare you for that. There's no pain that's like it. But it, it was a manageable pain. But my, my body was pushing him out, but I just uh, sort of got a bit impatient. I said, no, I just have to get him out. So the second time he pushed against me, I just held him there when the contraction finished. And then before my contraction started I sort of pushed him a little bit and then the, the sensation was gone and I was like oh my god he's gone back in he's gone back in he's never gonna come out and my midwife's like no 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 his head's out he's here I can see his head and I was sort of in a position leaning forward on my knees so they could see him sort of out, out the back so his head just under the water and um the next contraction came and I pushed again and he just came out and my midwife caught him because I'm facing the wrong way I should have faced the other way, but next time, next time I'll do that. He caught him and sort of un, un, sort of unwrapped him and then gave him to me, but gave him to me so the cord was like under my leg or over my leg. I can't remember. I must have been under my leg or over it. And I felt like I couldn't move, but I just burst into tears when he was born. I burst into tears and I held him against me. I went, oh my God, I did it. Oh my God, I did it. And both men were like, yeah, you did it. He's here. <laughs> He's right here. And so he arrived and, and mum brought my toddler out to see it. And my husband saw and everyone was standing around almost cheering. Like that's how elated I felt. I felt like people were cheering. Like it was so, I was so happy. And I, I just, it was amazing. I had these dreams that he'd been born at night or I'd go into labor at night. I was like, no, maybe it's not. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'm just imagining it that happened and he was born at 2:26 a.m and I didn't even see the daylight like I thought I would <laughs> so from start to stop it was about six and a half hours which I mean I thought that was pretty good considering I'd never labored spontaneously before so from the start of everything it was six and a half hours yeah so I had That's amazing. all day which was mm. manageable but from the contract from clear contractions mm-hmm. about 8 30 it's about six and a half hours mm. well so, done yeah, thank you. You surprised yourself. <laughs> oh, I did. I really, but I really didn't want to over-prepare my mind for best case. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I didn't want to be, I knew that adrenaline would work against me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that wouldn't allow my hormones to do the job that they need to do. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to get too excited or too anxious 
And I just went, what will be will be. And, I, and that's what I think will happen. If it happens, great. And if it doesn't, great. <laughs> You're still going to be born. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was born and I was sitting in the... I had a meconium standing again with my second baby when my waters broke. You could see it in the water. And um, at that time, we made the decision if he was fine during and after and before a contraction on the Doppler, then we wouldn't transfer. So we didn't transfer because he was fine. Um, and he was only out an hour later. He was absolutely beautiful. He was fine. He was pink. He was, he had a great APGA. I don't remember what it was, but it was great. And so I was bleeding quite a lot, holding my baby. I felt fine at the time. Looking back, I felt absolutely fine. And my mum took some pictures and my husband, you know, invited James to meet the baby. And then James, he put James back to bed. And at this time I was sort of midwife, like, oh, you're bleeding a bit much. I'd probably like you to get out of the pool. So I got out of the pool. I was a little bit confused because the cord was somewhere and I feel like I couldn't move my leg. So I was like, how do I untangle this? <laughs> I couldn't work out how to move Charlie around my leg to untangle me from the cord. <laughs> so I climbed out with some help because those pools are really tall and I'm only five foot. So it's hard work to climb over the side of the pool with a baby in your arms and a cord between your legs. But I managed. <laughs> and I laid back on the couch and um, I was still bleeding quite a bit and I stood up a little bit and more blood came out. So we made a decision to manage the third stage. My placental hadn't been delivered yet. So I had the um, syntocin injection in my leg and I sort of squatted a little bit and the placenta sort of just fell out, which was great because that was what we wanted to achieve. So then the placenta was put in a bowl and I was laying back on the couch with my beautiful baby on me on, with a towel over us. It was very nice. I really loved it. My mum heated up some frittata that I had made the week before and I put in the freezer. And she heated it up for me in the sandwich toaster, like I'd said, and then she sat on the couch next to me and she fed me a little bit. And then she had to go somewhere else and do something. I don't know what. And then Renee, my second midwife, she fed it to me. <laughs> and I was pretty sure I wanted a glass of wine because I'd really missed red wine that pregnancy for whatever reason. I really wanted it. But my midwife's like, no, no, how about have some water first? <laughs> so I had some water instead. But I was still bleeding a fair bit. So by sort of 5 a.m., I'd gotten up and had, you know, we decided to cut his cord and Tom cut the cord and had had some cuddle with him with, with his singlet on and, and everything. And he's a bit funny about having skin to skin with this mucky baby, <laughs> with this vernix-covered, mushy baby. So I was like, no, no, just on my singlet, thanks. <laughs> So we put it against, put Charlie against him and held him and I had a shower, but I was still bleeding quite quickly on the way to the shower. So I sort of had to walk with a towel between my legs and I felt a little bit dizzy by the time I was standing up an hour and a half after birth. And so I had some more meds. I had a tablet that went under my tongue. I think I had another injection as well in my other leg. I'm not sure what they were. I'm sure that they were probably standard practice stuff. I could probably tell you if I look back in my notes, but I have no idea. At the time, and I had a shower, and I was standing in the shower, and I was holding onto the sides. I still felt a bit dizzy. I felt nauseous, and I didn't know at the time that this was the the symptoms of, of a high-volume blood loss. And I think she estimated, uh, Amanda estimated my blood loss at the time of birth, about 700 mils. And by the time we sort of got around to the afterbirth and back out of the shower, it's probably about a litre. She estimated it at about a litre. And it was still bleeding. And I had those meds and it had been 15 minutes. Mm. And so I, had, I was lightheaded and I was nauseous. So they, Amanda said, well, let's 
pop you on the bed and we'll give you some the massage, uterine mm-hmm. massage, um, and then we'll decide what to do. So we decided I was a bit out of it. My baby was with my mum and with my husband. And uh, my mum had put my dog in the cage, thankfully, because he lived, he sleeps in a crate overnight. So mm-hmm. she put him in there because it was getting busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I had massage and uh, they tried to put an IV in, but my veins were a bit, bit hard to get into. So uh, Amanda ended up calling an ambulance and said, yeah, well, you know, they were only sort of 12 minutes away, the ambulance. And it ended up coming two ambulance, one normal paramedic and then a micro paramedic. And I was okay by the time they got there. I felt okay. I felt like I'd come back to myself a bit, um, laying down in my bed. I was cold. I felt cold. And my midwife had asked my husband to heat up my heat pack. And I had asked him to start packing me a bag. So he was a bit frustrated (laughs) because all these things were being asked of him. (laughs) He didn't really know. And I I packed some stuff in in a nappy bag for in case of transfer for the baby, not so much for me, but for the baby and some pads and stuff. And that's about it. So uh, the midwife, the ambulance came and they came into the house and it's 5 a.m. now. So five, yeah, it must've been five. So he's been born for nearly three hours. Uh, my mum dressed him and put him in some clothes and a hat and a blanket. And they and I said, okay, my man said, yeah, we'd like to go to the hospital just to get some blood or some fluid and see, see how you're doing. So by the time I got in the ambulance, I was fine. I was right as rain. I was holding. They were like, oh, the baby should probably go in the catcher. And I was like, no, 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 no baby's coming with me. <laughs> no, no, I will not have this separation again. It's not happening. <laughs> it will come with me. <laughs> so we made the trip for 25 minutes to the hospital. In the, I made in the market home paramedic, but they didn't transfer care. So my midwife was still my care provider when I was in the ambulance. And then when she got to the hospital, she transferred my care to the hospital but they were pretty funny about the independent midwife they didn't really listen or acknowledge her status I would say I don't want to say they didn't acknowledge her as a person but they didn't acknowledge her status I had a really great midwife when I was going into the birth suite and people said congratulations that was really nice I was walking in on the stretcher and they um said congratulations and oh look at your baby da 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 so that was really nice. And the midwife, when I got there, she asked every time she wanted to touch me. She said, Alyssa, is it all right if I just do this for this reason? And it was really, I had not had that before and I could have cried. And I, when she was changing over shifts, I said, thank you so much for being such a great midwife. Thank you so much for asking if you can touch me before you actually touch me. And she said, no worries, that's fine. I do it with everyone. And I was like, oh, there's a great midwife here. That's so good. <laughs> and I was pretty elated still now I my blood loss had stemmed a little bit I didn't feel like I was bleeding profusely anymore uh the obstetrician came in to the I think I must have been in a treatment room or a birth I think I was in a birth suite actually they put me in there and she wanted to have a look so the stirrups came out and they shone a light on me and I was pretty sore you know three hours after birth four hours after birth I was red and puffy and very sore by now (laughs) My pelvis hurt, my everything was swollen, but she wanted to have a look and she wanted to touch it. And as soon as she touched me, I jumped because I didn't expect it to be so painful because no one had touched me. Like I'd had a tear and a, and a, um, a graze because he came out with his fist underneath his chin. So it's a little wider than the sort of the average head circumference by the end of it. And I pushed him out. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just waited for my body to do it, but here we are. <laughs> you listen and you learn. <laughs> and um, he... 
Yeah, so she looked, and I had a tear, a second degree tear, which I'd chosen not to have stitched at home. I just wanted to leave it. I wanted to, I wanted it to heal on its own because it wasn't, it wasn't the real big cause of my bleeding. Otherwise, we would have looked at it. We looked at it when we were at home. Like I was checked out thoroughly at home, and we only transport to have bloods done and fluid put in. So and same product, but the you could see that it was all there, but it did have a little bit of breakage, but it was all there. Yeah, so I, she was looking at it. I was up in the stirrups. That was not comfortable. I don't know how people birth in that position. That was not fun at all. And she was looking and she put a bit of gauze in on my tear and she's like, if that's bleeding when I come back, we're going to have to take you to theatre. I went, what? <laughs> what do you mean take me to theatre? What for? And she's like, I want to stitch it right now. And I said, no, you're not stitching it. You're not touching it fine I chose not to have it stitched at home it's like yeah but it's policy I have to stitch it I said no you don't have to stitch it you don't have to do anything just leave it alone so she was pretty grumpy she was pretty assertive she left the room and left me with the midwife and I said to my midwife who was still with us at the time um and she said I said to her I don't know how I feel about this I feel like my blood loss is slowed I feel I feel better physically I don't feel dizzy I don't feel nauseous I don't feel cold or hot anymore I had a bit of a temperature spike, but it came down. I'm not sure really why that happened. And, yeah, so I sat in that room with my feet up in stirrups for 20 minutes. She went away. She came back. And they were going to do shift change over soon. So I was going to get a new obstetrician. And I thought, no, no, I don't want to have to fight with someone else. I just said to the midwife, can I have a mirror? I want to look at it. And I had a look at it. And it wasn't as bad as I had thought it would be. I mean, obviously, I couldn't see the depth of the tear, but I could see the outside and she said yeah no worries gave me the mirror and I said no nah, I'm fine I'm just gonna leave it so they took my they made my on the top of my hand oh my god she was amazing I can't believe she got it in so quickly and so easily it was amazing yeah so they took blood but did all the I don't even know check levels whatever check iron check whatever else I had to do I had a couple of bags of fluid two bags of fluid I think went in and then I had something to eat and I had a drink and I felt pretty good. I had had a baby, so I felt as good as I could. And then they said, all right, no worries. We just want to keep you here till we get the test results back and, and a bit of observation. So she cleaned up the room and she took me to ward. And, yeah, I stayed on ward for a couple of hours. You know, the midwife ship changed again. And I actually got a midwife looking after me who... Looked after my mum when she had me and my sister at Rosebud Hospital, the local mm -hmm. hospital down here. Yeah, that's so special. Yeah, she remembered my doctor's name and she remembered my mum's last name. So wow. that's very interesting. Mm. <laughs> and she was so lovely and we had that little connection like, like I'd had with my private midwives, which was really mm. nice. And she kept asking, you know, have they come to see you? Have they come to see you? And I said, no, no, we haven't been seen since we got here. Mm -hmm. You know, this was two o'clock in the afternoon. We haven't been seen. And then she changed again. And the obstetrician came or the registrar came and she said, oh, we have to keep you here overnight. And I said, why? I thought everything was fine. And she said, oh, your liver levels aren't right. And it just was really hard to get all of the information out of her. She didn't mm. give me a number and where she wanted it to be. She didn't give me anything. And she was worried about pre post-birth preeclampsia or post-birth eclampsia, one of the two. And I'm not sure. She didn't give me enough information, and I haven't looked into it enough to know 
what the symptoms are other than a spike in blood pressure. That's all she was concerned about. And my level, my liver levels, which she didn't tell me whether they were liver function levels or what. She didn't tell me what it was. She just said liver levels. So I'd spoken to my private midwife. I'd rung Louise and said, look, this is what happened. What's happening. They want to keep me here overnight. I'm so tired. I haven't slept since, you know, the night before. <laughs> I haven't had any sleep. My husband had a nap on the bed in the stared room that we were in, <laughs> which was nice because he had to drive home, obviously. And, um, yeah, so she came back. The midwife came in. She was a younger midwife. She was fairly new. And she said, oh, I just, got to, I just have to take a urine sample. And I went, what? It's like, oh, to check your, your liver or your urine or something like that. And I was like, okay. Why do you have to use a catheter? Can I just pee in a cup? Because I hate catheters. I cannot stand. That is probably the most irritating part of the whole experience was the catheter because she did it. She did it three times, but it was contaminated every time. So she got the midwife on shift, the head midwife, to do it, and she did it. Bang, done. <laughs> so I had to lay there with my feet together, exposed, waiting for this other midwife to come. It's pretty funny. I just laugh about it now, but at the time I was pretty annoyed. So she asked her, can you bring that other doctor back? I really want to ask more questions as to why she wants to keep me here. And so she came back and she said to me, you don't really like me, do you? And I just said, well, I've been here since 5 a.m. I had a baby last night. I haven't slept. I would like to know why you want to keep me here. I don't understand. And she said, we want to monitor your, your blood pressure overnight, make sure it doesn't spike. I said, okay, and what if I go home? And she said, well, if it spikes overnight and then your organs go into failure, there's not much we can do about it. And I went, okay, well, all right. You haven't really given me a way to manage it at home, so I guess I'll just have to stay overnight. And I said, I'm really tired. And then I started to cry because I was just so tired and I didn't want to be there. That's the reason I had my baby at home. So I didn't want to be in the hospital. And she said, all right, well, we'll try and get you a single room and you can stay there. I'm like, okay. So she got me in my own room and I stayed with my baby and no one touched my baby because he was boarding with me. He wasn't born there. He wasn't a patient. No one weighed him. No one undressed him. No one touched him at all. And it was so nice. <laughs> and then overnight, I had my blood pressure monitored once at about 10 o'clock and then not again till the morning, till I called the midwife in in the morning when I was awake at 7 o'clock. So they didn't really monitor my blood pressure overnight, like you said that they were wanted to. Like that was the whole reason that I was there. And my liver levels apparently had come down. She finally gave me a number. It was, it was at 50 and it was meant to be under 20 or something like that. So they had to come down. And so I heard the midwife talking, the afternoon midwife talking to the night midwife outside my door. She said, they're down to this number, but they're not down far enough. But she didn't tell me that. She told the midwife outside the door that, and I just heard it. Like no one gave me any information. They just talked to each other and that was it. It was really annoying because I really wanted the information so I could make a decision as to whether I needed to stay or mm. whether I could go home. And how were you feeling, like, in your fine. body physically? I was fine. fine. Absolutely mm -hmm. fine. I was sore. But I, I was able to get up and have a shower after I had my baby. I couldn't do that before. Mm. I couldn't do that with James. You know, mm -hmm. it was astounding the level of uh, autonomy I, I had. I could move my body all by myself. I didn't need any help. I walked from the from the birth where they uh, examined me when I got to the hospital, I walked from there to mm. the ward room by myself carrying my baby. I didn't get a wheelchair. No one had to roll me in a bed. It was amazing. It was mm. really uh, empowering, I want to say, because I was allowed to move my body. I was able to move my body all by myself, 
which sounds silly, doesn't it? Because I should have been able to do that after my first birth anyway, but I had to wait for them to say mm-hmm. that I could do it, which is silly. That's yeah, what happens so, though. Yeah. 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 And all too often, all too often. Mm. And so I, after that, I stayed the night and I called the midwife in and then I was walking around with my baby on the ward because I'm seeing all these dads, these new dads with their babies. It was so adorable. Um, and I stayed by myself because I obviously had a toddler at home. So my husband went home and he came back in the morning. And this is pre-COVID. So thank God mm-hmm. because my mum bought me dinner the night before and mm-hmm. seen me and, and helped me and bought some things from home that I'd forgotten. And that was nice. When and did so, you leave the hospital? The following morning. So I got mm-hmm. there at 5am on Monday and I left at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning okay. because I called the midwife, had my blood pressure taken. She asked me about my birth and why I tried, why I wanted a home birth mm-hmm. after a cesarean because she'd have a cesarean with her first child six years ago herself. So mm-hmm. it was really nice to talk to someone about that. And she was really interested. And um, then I said, can you get the, the doctor for me? I'd like to go home. So she did. She went and got the doctor and he came around to my room and he said, oh, wow, you look great. Thank you. I would like to go home. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no worries. You just have to go and have your blood pressure checked at the doctor every week. And I was like, well, you know, all right. My wife was coming back. She could do that. Mm-hmm. So I went home and my midwife came. Amanda came the following day just to do all the weighing and stuff. I did weigh him at the hospital. He was seven point four kilograms that was nice who who is seven points no that's wrong yeah 7.7 kilos sure (laughs) so i think that's eight pound three he's eight pound one i think it turned out to be eight pound one yeah oh eight pound three i think it is yeah i don't know i had a 3.7 i had a 3.7 kilo baby it was eight pound three yeah, so it was Not about that it He wasn't 10 pounds like I judged he was. So much smaller <laughs> than your first as well. 500 well, grams smaller yeah. than my first baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a longer gestation by a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was just really interesting. And, you know, because yeah. they, they always get bigger. No, they don't. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. And your babies grow to the right size that they're meant to be. <laughs> and how did you how did you um, heal in your postpartum with the tear and after a vaginal um, birth? I didn't find it hard at all. I was able to get up and out of bed. I spent about a day because I really wanted to spend the first day in bed mm-hmm. with my baby and my family after the birth. But I hadn't, again, I hadn't visualized what postpartum immediately looked like for me. So I couldn't see that. I could see I could have my baby at home, but I didn't see what postpartum looked like because I didn't have a normal postpartum last time and I was in the hospital. So I didn't understand. I didn't really know what to expect. And obviously then we transferred. So I sort of expected what to happen at the hospital. So when I came home, I spent the, hopped in the bed with Charlie and we, I had a shower and I hopped in the bed and everyone was around. And that was really nice. I don't think we had any visitors that day. I think we had visitors the following day. So that was really nice too. We didn't have any unnecessary interruptions. And Amanda came back on the two days after he was born and you know, check, get all the, the blood sending off, you know, the blood pricking and stuff and all the newborn checks. We decided to have the vitamin K uh, injection because I'd had that bleeding. I didn't want to, I don't know, somehow transfer that type of thing because I had all that bleeding. I didn't want to worry about that. So I decided that I was going to do that, but I didn't do the, the hepatitis vaccination. I just left that till the six weeks. Um, yeah, so... That's what we did and we spent the day at home and we stayed home after that and I was absolutely fine. By two weeks again, I felt like the tear was 
pretty much completely healed. I actually, after sort of a couple of weeks and I'd stopped bleeding, I think I bled for about five weeks this time. Whereas with my C-section, I only bled for two weeks, obviously, because I didn't have a natural delivery. They scooped everything out. Um, so I actually made my husband look when I stopped bleeding. I was like, can you just look at it? I just want to, does it look the same? Like, I don't know what it looks like. You look at it more than I do. Can you tell me what it looks like? He's like, yeah, it looks like normal. It looks like you didn't even have a baby. I'm like, well, that's all right. Oh, Pretty awesome. glad with that. So it obviously, yeah. So oh, and everything good. felt fine inside. I, I mm. sort of felt around us, you know, is there any sore spots or anything? But it was fine. And I didn't have any of that hormone drop or that baby blues. I was just happy. I was mm. so happy. And my milk came in more gradually and a bit faster than it did. It wasn't like a big smack into the milk overnight. It was like gradually it came into to bursting. And it was just, and he fed pretty well. He had a, a tongue tie like James did, but his was more severe. So we had mm. that lasered at just the end of two weeks old and he fed much better after that there wasn't any trauma to my nipple though it was mostly just he was falling asleep at the breast and he had a little wind mm. so I, my car referred us to the laser and, and we had that done by the dentist and that was I, I wish I had have had that done with James just to mm. get rid of the tongue tie so I didn't have to worry about oh is it affecting his speech oh is it affecting his weight gain in the in the long term but oh well I'm not going to do it now <laughs> And he's three, so there's no way you'd sit at the dentist and have it done. <laughs> but yeah, I just, it was just worlds apart. The whole experience was worlds apart and I would do it with the transfer again and again and again. Yep. Oh, that's and great. Just, yeah. And I, I mean, we plan to have another one probably, oh, maybe not next year, the year after. And I plan to have another home birth. I, I don't see why not. I would love to do it again and I would love to stay home after birth. <laughs> I would like to improve again and see how we can make that happen. But yeah, I was just really, really, really happy. And, and I still feel the joy and the elation and the, the, the ecstasy that that birth brings me and, and brings him. And you, you can know, he is a healthy, happy baby. Yeah. See that with um, how active you are in the VBAC and home birth communities, you're a huge yeah. advocate for... You know, yeah, I feel so passionate knowledge. about this. I want mm. other women to feel the way that I feel about their second or subsequent yeah. birth after their cesarean. Oh, well, thanks for being such an awesome advocate for VBAC Women and um, for sharing your stories today. Yeah. Thank you so for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. I'm really glad that I was able to share. I've been wanting to share it for a little while now. <laughs> no, I'm so glad. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hey, me again. I just wanted to let you know that I've just created a brand new Facebook group called VBAC Home Birth Support Group, where you can connect with other like-minded mothers who are looking to have a VBAC home birth as well. You can find the link in the show notes and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I hope that this episode has helped you take another step to finding your voice and confidence in your VBAC journey. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to help more women to find out more about VBAC Home Birth, just like you. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at The Motherhood Circle. See you next week.